and welcome back to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Mr. Triple Double himself, Connor Morissette. Connor, did you survive the atmospheric rivers? Is there some sunshine once again in Southern California? What's going on out there? I'm still here. I survived. And yeah, looking out the window right here, sun shining. Looks like we're back, baby. I love it. Although <laughs> I think some rain might be coming uh, either over the weekend or, or, or next week. But for now, things are good. As long as you guys get the rain in this week and you don't push it up to the Bay Area next weekend, because I plan to be out there next weekend for baseball. So uh, let, let's make sure that we get some good weather for me now that it's baseball season. It doesn't matter as much during basketball season, except for you guys traveling to the arena. Uh, the, the weather has not been very good for the men's basketball team at USC. It's just been a dark cloud hanging over the, the team all season. Even though they've gotten healthy, it was an ugly week so uh let's see we'll talk about them and see what happened there some positive signs to begin with and then just an ugly ugly game against stanford so let's talk about the women that's the more important thing and uh you know we, on this podcast we always talk about the usc men's and women's that's the triple double here um but we're gonna have a special guest later we're gonna have kayla padilla the usc grad transfer i gotta pick her brain a little bit before or after our interview about some things in philadelphia the pin transfer so looking forward to that conversation make sure you guys stay tuned for that connor where should we start with this week i'm gonna let you pick which segment we start with as we jump in to our, our segments here early since we're gonna have kayla on a little bit later do you want to just jump into recapping the two women's games? Start there. Let's go there. Let's start with the positive from this week uh, for USC's action. Sure. Do you want me to break down the games quick or go right into the triple-double here? Go for it. Let's get a little recap in, then we'll, we'll jump into our triple-double for the women. All right. Sounds good. So two wins for the women of Troy. They beat Arizona State 81-63 to in that first game on Friday. And that was a game where USC really – had a couple of poor shooting stretches, but a dominant first quarter really was all they needed, and they went on to win uh, easily in that one. Juju Watkins, 31 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. Mackenzie Forbes helped throughout 18 points. Ray Marshall had a great game, 16 rebounds to go along with uh, double-digit scoring for her, so she had a nice double-double. Caitlin Davis, who I think is playing some really great basketball right now, 8 points, 6 rebounds. For Arizona State, they only used six players. That was a surprise to me. Jalen Brown, 8 of 20 from the floor for 24 points, but the Sun Devils never really threatened in that one. And then on to Monday night, it was a Monday night game for uh, the women of Troy. Instead of a Sunday, they beat Arizona 81 to 64. Slow start for USC. They were trailing after the first quarter, but they had a big third quarter and ultimately won that one going away. Juju Watkins over 30 points again, 31. She was 12 to 12 from the line, seven rebounds, four assists, four blocks. It was the ninth 30 point game of the year for her. Kayla Padilla, she was the standout secondary score for USC in that one, five of eight from the field or five of eight from three, five of nine from the field. She had 15 points, seven assists, no turnovers. Loved what I saw from her. Ray had another double-double, 12 points, 10 rebounds. USC was 11 of 22 from three. Shotgun, the women of Troy, they did what they needed to do. Arizona State and Arizona, two teams on the bottom half of the Pac-12, and USC with two convincing wins, two wins that were never really close at the end of the games. It was a really good sign for the women of Troy as they head up to Oregon this week. Yeah, great, great to continue the momentum. Um, which is what we talked about last week, continue the momentum coming off that Bay Area trip. And now they go 
uh, on a crucial road trip. Now, Oregon hasn't been playing great. They played good against some teams and could, you know, pick off someone at home. But the Oregon State game is massive for USC. We'll definitely talk about that a little bit later. But standings-wise, perception-wise, but even more so, standing, standing-wise, we're going to get into how important this game is going to be and how the, the standings are, are really tight-knit right now. And you want to make sure that you're – not getting that five seed, not getting a six seed, so that you can get that first uh, that buy the first game, round of games at, in the Pac-12 tournament. But I'm gonna start with my triple double, Raya Marshall. Welcome back, Raya. You know it's been a while. She had been out with that illness, but she's come alive recently um, in the fourth quarter. Now she didn't score much against Arizona until the fourth quarter. She had nine points in the fourth quarter. And that's kind of a sign of she's not a primary option on the offensive side, but she can grab offensive rebounds and put backs and things like that. And she's showing some confidence in her ability to score rather than kicking out when she gets an offensive rebound at times, which is what kind of had happened where it seemed like she had lost her confidence a little bit to be able to score down low. But the last couple of games, back-to-back double-doubles, after she had gone a long stretch without a double-double, uh, and it, well, after starting the season, I think with like eight straight games and double figures, she had had only one until the last two games. So that's a great sign for USC because, as we always talk about, needing that third score, maybe even just needing that secondary score. You know, McKenzie Forbes didn't do much against Arizona. So, you know, a secondary or a tertiary score for USC is going to be huge. And I think Ray Marshall being back is really big for that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think she still has some growing pains here and there a little bit, but it was certainly a good sign. All the rebounds she was able to grab over the weekend, double digits on on both in both games. I, I thought that was significant. Now the next step for her shotgun, Oregon State, their great big Reagan Beers, who USC did a nice job of limiting at home when they squeaked past Oregon State by two earlier this season. That's going to be the next big challenge for her, and, and that's a game I'm going to be looking closely at specifically with Rhea Marshall, because I think when sometimes this season we've seen the great interior players for the opposing teams, Rhea's sort of been up and down against them. And I think that's the next challenge for her. And I'm excited to watch. Yeah. She's got to use her athleticism against the, the, the huskier girls, the bigger girls that she's not as as strong as, but can she, she can get off the ground quicker than those type of things. So, you know, using your strengths and, and turning an opponent's strength into their weakness, that's a big thing. Uh, what else do you what do you have for your your positives? That's my first one. I'm gonna go one by one here, uh, just because I want to point out something with with each of these three. Sure. So mine, I, I sort of said it already, but just taking care of business. Remember that homestand when USC they beat Washington State, but then they lose to a Washington team who's solid, but in the bottom half of the Pac-12, a team USC probably should have beaten. And then Lindsey Gottlieb gets all angry. Juju Watkins goes for 51 points against Stanford. So maybe that was a blessing in disguise. But we all were saying that same thing leading into those Washington games that USC, they got to take care of business here. And we, like I said, we were saying that last week on the show now against the Arizona schools. And what does USC do? They come out and they win big against Arizona State and Arizona. Off the top, I I just think getting wins in the Pac-12, it's not always going to be easy. USC did it. And that's huge as they're still fighting for a championship. They're still very much in the mix for a regular season Pac-12 championship. Beating the two Arizona schools at home is huge. Yeah, take care of business at home, especially against the teams that are in the bottom. Um, Sniper Padilla is one of my positives. I mean, they got to get her more shots, honestly. I, I think she has shown that you get her an open look, it's going down most of the time. And especially that stretch in the middle of that Arizona game, she she carried him. He hit five threes on five attempts in the second and third quarter of that game. So you know she's been and she's been money with people in her face. You know people flying at her. 
doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I, I think she's been kind of an unsung hero. And the fact that we know she can score and we've seen how much how well she can shoot, I think you gotta design some things. I think you gotta draw some things up to make sure you get her a shot early, make sure she gets one to go in, and then you can build on it and to kind of let the defense know like you better guard her. You better not slink down low on Juju. Then you help create some more space for Juju driving the ball, create some more space for Rhea Marshall. If she gets the ball in the post. A lot of those different things, I think, just open up when it starts with, with Caleb Padilla knocking down an outside shot. Yeah, it was funny, Shotgun, in that first game against Arizona State. She's one of two from the field. Some Some games, that's what she does. In other games, like Arizona, she has the big scoring stretches and – when she scores and she's knocking down those threes, USC is obviously a way better team, but they're just more exciting and fun to watch, I think, when she is taking more shots. And she only took two from the field against Arizona State. I'm not going to hammer her for it. USC won 81 to 63. But I think sometimes this season there are games where she could certainly shoot more. And I'm excited to talk to her later about that. I have Caitlin Davis for, for my second up. I really like what she brings. I, I think she's just giving USC some really, really good minutes. And in their last four games, when USC's 4-0, Caitlin Davis is averaging 27.7 minutes per game. The previous four, when USC was 1-3, she was only averaging 17 minutes a game. So she's playing a lot more, and USC, it's paying off for them. I thought she really did well to power that 9 nothing run against Arizona to start the third quarter. She had a key offensive rebound and then a great pass that set up a three. She's not going to score a ton of points. She averaged eight points and, and five and a half rebounds over USC's last two games. But I think she is certainly cemented herself as one of your best five options in this season. I think, you know, Juju, Mackenzie Forbes, Caleb Padilla. And then I, I think Caitlin Davis is probably the, the fourth most important player on the team, in my opinion. And I've loved what I've seen from her so far. She settled in. And I, I think when she is playing really good basketball, that's immensely helpful to USC. And I hope she can keep it up. Yeah. And you know why that I think this is a really good team uh, among other things, but every time we bring up someone, I'm like, this person has a really important role. And I think Caitlin Davis is, is a really important piece to this team because of her role. And she plays her role really well. Same thing with Padilla, same thing. with Like we talk about different people and we go, they're a really important player to this team. And it's partly because of her role and it's to bring physicality. It's to bring energy like that offensive rebound. You talked about, she went flying over people. I was like, Whoa, where'd that come from? That was a little bit, you know, out of left field for me. I didn't know that she had necessarily the athleticism to go up over um, an Arizona player that was just kind of standing and waiting on the ball to come to her. And then she scores on, on a putback. um, If we're talking about the same offensive rebound, but you know, she's been really big and she's so efficient outside of the Stanford game where she was 0 for four. Like when she shoots, it's pretty much going in. Like that's what that's what it feels like, you know. In the last, uh, I don't know, since the Utah game, she's shooting sixty-two percent from the field, and that's including the zero for four. She doesn't shoot very often. She's only attempting in that stretch. She's only attempting three field goals per game, in you know the last like seven games since she's come back and getting back healthy. But when she shoots, it's going in. So she's making a layup, or she's you know she doesn't take many of them, but she has that mid range jumper, that free throw line extended jumper. She knocks down really well too. So I think she's been been huge for them, getting her back healthy you know, after she had the knee injury early in the season. You know she's big on the boards for them, so they can they can go smaller. You know, they can play her at the four. They can even play her at the five, which they've done at times. So if you know Rhea Marshall or um, uh, Clarice Akinwafu get in, tr- in foul trouble, she can shift down. She's done that some, and she's. She just does all the small things. 
like she gets the ball in traffic, it's not an immediate turnover like you see a lot of times. She knows how what to do with the ball. She knows how to push the tempo, find Juju Watkins off a defensive rebound. She's quick to look for an out the pass. I just love the way she's playing right now, and I think she's a big asset to them right now as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you want to wrap up with your final positive? Yeah, my final one is Juju Watkins free throw shooting. You know, early in the season, she missed a couple. And we're like, oh, you know, she's only shooting 70-something percent. And you're like, oh, it's a freshman. It's not a big deal. She's shooting 93% since the UC Riverside game. So I don't know exactly. 13 games. Um, so the first eight games, I don't know what her exact numbers were. The last 13, she's shooting 93%. She gets fouled a ton, right? So every time she goes to free throw line, it's basically money. Like she's not missing more than one a game pretty much. I think one game she missed two. So we'll give her a break on that one because it was Stanford when she shot 19. So, you know, if you're making 18 to 20 or 17 to 19, we'll give you a pass. She was eight. She had 89.5% in that game. But in that stretch that I mentioned, the 13 games, that's the most she's missed. She's only missed four free throws, I think, during that, that stretch. It's like she's been ridiculous at the line. And it's just automatic points every time she goes to the free throw line. So um, I, I think that's such a big relief, I guess. You know, when you're when your lead scorer, when you're your person that you want the ball in their hands late in the game, when you know they're going to the line is going in, like you're just like, yeah, go foul them. Foul them as much as you want. Keep going. Keep fouling them. Because we know it's automatic money points uh, if you put this person on the line, and that's what it's been with Juju Watkins. Twenty of twenty-one the last two games. That is some somewhere in the nineties. Math was never my specialty. So how could uh, she miss one? I can't believe <laughs> it's a free throw. It's free, right? Uh, no, twenty of twenty-one, spectacular. She's been outstanding. Yeah, and it feels weird not to mention her on my three up. So just a honorable mention to her of being over thirty points in both of those games. My last one though is the defense. I don't think it was particularly outstanding, but holding both the opponents that they played Arizona State and Arizona to under forty one percent from the floor. I, I still think with USC defense, that's how they're going to win games in the NCAA tournament. Make sure that the opponent doesn't shoot at a high percentage and allow Juju and the other offensive players to do what they do best, which is score the basketball. I, I think the, the recipe for, for USC play defense and you're always going to have a chance, even if Juju's a little bit up and down or if other players are up and down, that's sort of the, the calling card. I think of this team and the fact that I felt like Arizona state was exclusively shooting jump shots for large stretches in that game. That stood out to me. And then Arizona, they were, I think, 39% from the floor. If you're holding your opponent to 40 or 39%, you're going to have a really good chance with, with USC based on the, the scoring that they have with Juju and the three-point shooting. So uh, I just wanted to shout out the defense again. Yeah, and, and we've we talked about the turnovers they're able to create. You know, they get a ton of steals each game, um, you know, but the blocks. They had six against Arizona State, eight against Arizona, and some of them are deflating blocks. Like when Juju swats one, it goes into the into the seats, you know. Someone's catching it, type of thing. She gets angry. There was one where uh, I don't remember. I think she had a turnover, and then someone tried to go up, and she was just like, "Nah, that ain't happening today." She could have matumboed it afterwards, and she she wanted to crack a smile, but she had just given a turnover, so I don't. I think that's why she she held off on that. Uh, but yeah, the defense has been really good, especially the second half against Arizona. I thought was really you know that was really important for them, holding them thirty three percent was enabled them to kind of pull away in that one for sure. What about on the negative side? We talked about the, the positive of our triple-double. What about the double? What do you got for two negatives? It's tough to point to two things when USC won convincingly 
uh, in the last two games, but a couple of runs against Arizona state sh- stood out in the second quarter. USC was during one stretch. Oh, of 10 from the floor. And then in the third quarter, they had an O of eight run and that'll happen in basketball. You're obviously not going to make every shot, but against Arizona state at home, you'd want to shoot a little bit better. And USC, they won big it's, it's nitpicky, but I, I felt like those two stretches sort of sort of stood out to me. I think defensively though, USC played so well that they didn't end up mattering um, but a couple of uh, tough stretches on offense. And then here's another nitpick, but against Arizona State with 2.56 left in the game, so about three minutes, Juju scores a layup, I think, and USC gets to 81 points, bench clears. A lot of players who don't get a lot of time come in, and it was just ugly. It, it did not look good. USC didn't score the rest of the way. I don't think you're going to rely on a lot of those players uh, anyway, so it's not like it's some big problem, but – I was hoping to see someone maybe have a little bit of an audition and show Lindsey Gottlieb, hey, I deserve to play a little bit more. And it was just some bad basketball to end that game. Didn't end up mattering, of course, as USC won big against the Sun Devils. But uh, to end the game with a two-minute and 56-second scoreless streak when you're playing a lot of players who just don't get a lot of time, I get it. But I was hoping to see a little bit more. Yeah, and you also lost a 25-point lead and turned it an 18-point lead. It just looks better when you have a 20-plus point win. Um, you know, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Maybe it does a little bit for the net. I don't know exactly the workings of the net uh, as far as how big of a blowout you need to have for it to to be considered a factor. And I know there is some consideration for the tightness of games and whatnot. My two negatives, uh, slow quarters, first quarters becoming a thing. Now, it wasn't against Arizona State, but Arizona State's the worst team in the conference, so I'm not even really counting that one. You know, they came out fine that they dominated the first quarter and were able to kind of coast the rest of the way, but Against Arizona, they're down 13 to 12. You know, Arizona scored a couple points late, just didn't shoot necessarily very well in that get in that quarter. Three of 15. You know, they had a stretch where they missed several shots, you know, late in the in the quarter. You can't shoot 20% in a quarter against good teams. That's usually not gonna be the case. I know Washington came back against Stanford in one game where they didn't do anything in the first quarter. Uh made that one a game, but that's why Washington didn't win that game. And that's the thing, USC, when you go on the road, now you're going to play against Oregon State. You know, you don't want to go on the road and play Oregon, get out to a slow start and give them confidence. You don't want to go out up to Oregon State and suddenly you're down by eight after the first quarter. So first quarters, you know, need to become a little bit better. It's just been something they've been a little bit slow getting out of the gates. Now, I don't know if it's they turn it on because they make some adjustments to what the defense is doing or whatnot. Uh, and we should give credit for that. I don't I don't know if that's the way we should be looking at this, but it, it has been a little bit something to keep an eye on is the way they've struggled coming out of the gates a, a couple times recently. And then my, my second negative is just playing time concerns. Now you mentioned some players that don't play too much and you know them getting in there and being sloppy, and maybe that's part of the reason why we're seeing what I'm calling what I'm calling playing time concerns. Juju Watkins doesn't need to play, you know, 75 minutes against in, a, in two games where you win by 17 and 18. There's 80 minutes in those two games. She shouldn't have to play 75 of them. You, know, you should be able to sit her out for three minutes in the first half, five minutes in the first half in two different segments or something. You should be able to shut her down early. Now, maybe it's because they want to get her to that 30-point mark. I don't know the exact reasoning, but I would like to rest her a little bit more if I'm coaching, just to, hey, let's make sure we have fresh legs as we get to the stretch run, as we get to the Pac-12 tournament, get to the NCAA tournament. We want to have fresh legs and be good to go. Um, and that's hard to do with someone like Juju. She doesn't want to come off the floor. She never does. 
but I would like to have seen, you know, opportunities for to get her out of the game and get some other people in. Uh, even when she sat in the Arizona game, it was for like 50 seconds. The first time she sat was, I don't remember, it was late in the second quarter or third quarter, but she sat for like 50 seconds and she was right back in. Now they do a great job of, okay, the media timeout's coming up. There's a dead ball. Let's get her out now. And that's why it's only 50 seconds because she's sitting for the 50 seconds of game time, but also the two and a half minutes of the commercial break or whatever it may be. So you're resting her that way. And that's something the NBA teams have done for a long time. And uh, you know what? Colleges have really started doing much better in the last decade, but I would get her, I would like to get her off her feet a little bit more and you want to build up that bench. Cause if you have an injury late in the season is Dominique Darius ready to go. Are Malia Samuels, Roxanne Mokolo, are these players ready to go? Or do you really have just a seven-man rotation where you got your starters, you got Big B and Akman Wafu coming off the bench? That's what it's been the last couple games. Uh, Malia Samuels didn't play until garbage time against Arizona, which is a little bit surprising. We've seen that every once in a while. Like one player will get moved up a little bit and one player will come back. I thought it was promising to see Kayla Williams you know, in that Stanford game, and she got 10 minutes in that Arizona State game. So she's had a couple, or I think it was the, the Cal game she came in, uh, but she's had a couple games where she's getting a little bit more playing time. Okay, can we expand that to eight players, maybe even nine players that you get a, a sand, you get their feet wet a little bit? Um, you know, I, I know it's tough when you're playing top 25 opponents almost every time, so that's why it was a little bit disappointing against Arizona State and Arizona to not be able to get some more, uh, some more well-rounded playing time for, for a couple other players. I think Kayla Williams should be in that rotation. I think she has shown me enough, even though against Arizona, she only played five minutes, took one shot, didn't go in. I I've liked what I've seen from her lately. I feel like she's battling with Malia Samuels for one of those guard spots coming off the bench to your point though. It's pretty clear. It's the starting five. And then Clarissa Akinwafu will play off the bench. Taylor Bigby, if she doesn't start, will play off the bench. And then, so that's seven. And then I think Kayla Williams right now is, is that eighth player. And she's had some up and down moments, but I think I trust her to, to be a solid eighth player, third player off the bench. And after that, I'm not really so sure there's anyone else who had be dying to, to get into the game shotgun, but I think eight, that's a solid number as you head into the postseason uh, in a couple of weeks. I mean, I would like to get McCullo in. Like, I, I think she's a great sub for Juju Watkins because she gives you the same defensive presence. Now, obviously she's not gonna give you the offensive juju, but she's so versatile that, you know, she can switch on different players. She can, you know, she can defend off the dribble, those type of things. And then if she gives you anything offensively, that's great. You, you know that, you know, she's not going to be your go-to uh, when you go in there, but you know, if you, if you can get five to seven minutes of rest for juju a game, um, especially if you're ahead, then McCullo is someone I wouldn't mind seeing being that sub primarily to, you know, just because I think she fills a, a similar void on the defensive end when Juju's not in there because we haven't talked about it. We probably should talk more about her defense. She's been outstanding all season. Um, I'll actually get into that a little bit when we get to our, our Juice Juice section, but let's flip it. We'll wait on Juice. Let's go to the men's side where there were a lot of negatives. Not necessarily so many positives. Give us the recap from uh, what happened this week. Let the fans know if they uh, were not watching on Thursday and on uh, you know on Saturday, what exactly went down. Well, on Thursday, in a late one, USC lost in overtime to Cal 
it was a tale of two halves early in the second half. USC was down 16 and it looked like, okay, this is going to get away from them. And then they battled a force overtime. In my opinion, shotgun, they probably should have won at the end of uh, regulation. Isaiah Collier missed a, a free throw that would have put him up one, but it's tough to be too critical of him because he was the real spark plug for the comeback. And eventually USC falls in overtime. 83-77. Collier did not score in the first half. He returned after missing six games with that hand injury, and then he scored 20 points on the second half. And in overtime, oh, man, that was one that, that USC could have had. But they were out-rebounded 54-27, to and it's really hard to beat anyone when you're out-rebounded like that. Fardaz Amak, 43 minutes. He was so tired. The Cal big man, he scored 15 points on 7 of 25 shots. He missed his last 13 shots, but he got 20 rebounds. And that was a killer. And then Jalen Tyson led all scorers with, with 27 points. And that really hurt USC as well. And they kind of let the game get away from them at the end. I think Cal ended on it like a 13 to six run in, in the overtime. And then Stanford shotgun, man, that was an ugly one. We were texting. I know you couldn't watch it live, but it was close. And then you blinked and then it wasn't close because USC <laughs> gave up a 25 to nothing first half run to Stanford and they go on to lose 99 68 Stanford set a school record with 19 three pointers. They were 19 of 38 from deep. It was one of those games where everything was going in for Stanford. And sometimes that happens, but uh, in a season that's been so disappointing for USC, I, I, I think of course they deserve some criticism for that game. Stanford center, Maxime Renault missed only one shot, 10 of 11 from the floor. He led all scorers with 25 points. Andre Stojakovic and Benny Geeler, two guards for Stanford. They each had career highs with 20 and 14 points, respectively. Isaiah Collier, he scored 18 points for USC. He was the only one in double figures for the Trojans. So the Stanford game, terrible all around. The Cal game, at least there was some nice stuff we could talk about. But uh, you would have loved to have at least gone one and one. I know they need to win the Pac-12 tournament to, to make the NCAA tournament. So even winning both games... It would have helped, of course, and it would have been a three-game winning streak, but they just have a lot of work to do. Going 0-2, though, that was unfortunate, and the Cal game, that's the one uh, that they should have won, I think, but Stanford, no one was beating Stanford uh, that night, and USC did not play very well either. That was an ugly, ugly game. Yeah, the the most disappointing thing is we thought maybe they could carry some momentum, get Isaiah Collier back, and start building. And instead, you feel like you, you. I think USC fans have reached the point of complacency, where there's no way we're going to win the Pac-12 tournament. There's no way we're going to do anything positive. And then you lose to to Cal, and it's like, oh well, we lost. That's unfortunate. And then you get blown out by Stanford, and you're just like, same old, same old. Instead of being like, how can we lose to Cal? Like this is going to kill our bubble chance. This is going to kill our res. Like that would be in a normal year, in the previous four years or whatever, when USC's always in the mix, that's what you would be thinking. But instead, it's just like, ho-hum, you know, whoops. They didn't find a way to win. They found a way to lose instead. Uh, and I, I think that's what's kind of set in right now is just complacency for the men's side, for the fans, is that, you know, they were so excited about what this season could be, and it has been none of those things. So they've gotten to the point where they just assume that the losing is going to come. Yeah, I mean the the Cal game, Cal gave him the game shotgun. I felt like uh, with no, 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 no. We, you guys keep it. No, no, you no, no. We we don't want it. You you can have no, no, no. You keep it. Cal was stuck on fifty eight points for four minutes from nine oh five to five oh seven, 
left in the second half. And then they were stuck on 61 points from 507 to 217 left, about three minutes. And then they scored two threes, but then they were stuck on 67 points for the last two minutes of the game. Isaiah Collier had the missed free throw that would have put USC ahead. But even in spite of that, USC was missing shots and they had so many chances to take a lead and step on the throat of Cal and they couldn't do it. Cal, of course, had a chance to win the game in the last possession. Tyson missed a three, so it goes to overtime. So they had the last laugh. But I just that that's what I remember for, from Thursday the most. The fact that like Cal played really well in the first half and to start the second half and USC was down 16. I think we both agreed it's probably not going to happen. And then USC fought back and they deserve credit for fighting back. But at the end of the game, Cal was like, here you go. Take it. We can't score. And USC couldn't take advantage of it. And I think that sums up the season. Even when the other team is doing things that should make it so you can win the game, USC, for whatever reason, they just couldn't do it. And man, oh man, that was a uh, game that left a real bitter taste in their mouth because Cal, they were giving it to him. Their big guy who was killing USC in the first half couldn't make a shot. He finished 0 of 13. How does that happen? Yeah, at, at, when they went down 16, like the first couple minutes of the second half, I think you tweeted out and like, oh, this one's done. And I was like, yeah. mm, I'm not going to agree with that one yet. Uh, I'm not going to like quote tweet it and be like, yeah, it's over for USC. It's like, they could, uh, Cal's not great. It could have, and I, I was like, all right, I've proven right here that they're coming back. And like you said, Cal gave them opportunities and USC, you know, they played fine, played close to good. Uh, in that final 10 minutes, probably pass good. I'll give them good. They played good the final 10 minutes, you know, rallying from down double digits, played pretty good defense. Cal missed some shots too, but played pretty good defense and just couldn't finish it off. And then it went into overtime and yeah, Cal had two leads in overtime, but went into overtime and it's kind of back and forth to begin with. And then whoop, all downhill from there. Uh, can you find three positives? What do you got on the triple double this week? I couldn't find three positives. I, I flipped it and I have three negatives, but, uh, so I, Isaiah's emergence ha- has to be the, the, the first thing we talk about. He of course sort of was getting back to, to form in that first half. And he had some nice moments where against Cal, he had some nice moments where he got to the basket, couldn't finish, missed some free throws, which ended up being costly second half though in overtimes getting to 20 points scoring 18 points against stanford i i start with him people this year shotgun have sort of been like isaiah collier the number one recruit in the country i need to see him take over a game when's he going to take over a game and i felt like in the second half he he was clearly the best player on the floor jalen tyson i think is a really good player as well but he sort of got tired i think isaiah collier didn't get tired he, to me, looked like the best prospect, the best player. He he took over. It's a shame he missed that last free throw. Um, and, and that, to me, w- w- was a big positive in a season of negatives because I thought that for really the first time this year, I, I think we can say he took over that game. And it's a shame. Usually when you take over a game, you win. USC still found a way to lose it. I Even though he's had some good moments in the past, I felt like he took over that game. And I think that has to be the, the, the first thing we start with. Do you agree? Do you feel like he take, took over the game? Yeah, I, I put Isaiah Collier's back. I think just him being back is a positive. Um, but yeah, second half, 17 points on four or seven shooting. And he made nine consecutive free throws until the last one. So that's the, that's the heartbreak of it. And that's that's been the season for USC. But yeah, Isaiah Collier, I think, definitely took over that one. What else you got my, for, for, your, yeah, for my, your one other in the double <laughs> that you're going double-triple today? Yes, Um 
I can't say anything about the Stanford game, so I'll stick with the Cal game. DJ Rodman, I thought, gave USC a, a hell of an effort. His threes at the end of the game were why the Trojans were in that one. He was 7-9 from the floor. No one could rebound in this one after having all those rebounds against Oregon State. I think 14 he finished with. He only had two against Cal, but he, he was much better as a scorer. And USC really didn't get much help outside of DJ Rodman and Isaiah Collier. They were begging for someone else to, to help them, and it just really didn't happen in this one. So those were the two catalysts that kept USC in the game. Shout out to DJ Rodman. I feel like he's playing some good, the to, to, to pretty good basketball right now. He, no one else is, though, and that's been the big problem. Um, I had I actually had four positives for you know USC. Um, How dare you? I know, I know. They're taking better care of the basketball. It's a small thing. They still had 12 turnovers against Stanford, but only six against Cal. They didn't turn the ball over in the previous win. So, you know, since Boogie Ellis has been back, they're taking better care of the basketball with Isaiah Collier back. And he did turn the ball over, I think, what, three times against Stanford, did have three assists. But against Cal, he took care of the ball, only one turnover in that game to go with three assists, and the ball was in his hands, like you said, the entire second half. So, he made good decisions. They took better care of the basketball. How about Kobe Johnson? We've seen some positive flashes from him. In the Cal game, um, USC was actually at its best when he was on the court. They were plus nine when Kobe Johnson played his 30 minutes. And that was better than anyone else for USC. You know, three of five shooting in that game. He was three of six shooting against Stanford. I think that's where he needs to be. You know, layups and, you know, open threes. That's what he needs to be shooting rather than trying to create his own shot a bunch, which is what he had to do when both Boogie and, and Isaiah were out. Made his three pointer in both games, shot one in both of those games. So he's not standing out the three point line, like camped out waiting to try to shoot threes. He's attacking, you know, rim runs when someone else is getting, you know, trying to back down or someone's trying to attack and creating space. I, I think that's. That's the game he needs to be playing. So I think that is a big positive, actually, out of this. Getting Isaiah Collier back and then seeing positive signs for Kobe Johnson because, again, we've talked about all that really matters now is the Pac-12 tournament. So start, can you start making strides? Getting him back is a big stride for that. And now it's not the upper echelon Kobe Johnson. He's still coming off the bench for USC, but he's working his way back towards the player we know he can be. So that's a big positive, I think. And then the last one was, did I didn't watch the Stanford game. <laughs> I, like I have it tape recorded because I, I tape record all of them. And, you know, I was, I was out on a date. So I said, I'll catch it when I get back. And, you know, if it's really close, I can check it and whatnot. Once, uh, once I saw the score and you told you texted me that it was a 25 Oh run. I was like, well, yeah, I just don't think there's any need for me to watch this game. I, and I go back to the box score and everything afterwards, but, I don't think I've ever seen a team during a scoreless run uh, uh, or where they're holding an opponent scoreless make seven threes during a run. That's just, that's how that 25 points came on seven threes, a jumper and a layup, I think, or a jumper and two free throws. Like, so I haven't rewatched it, but it just sounds like Stanford was like looking like Steph Curry out there. That's exactly right. They, couldn't miss, especially during that run. It, w- it was ridiculous. And guys like Benny Geeler, who don't take a lot of shots, he was hitting threes from way downtown. And yeah, that, that was tough to to chew on if, if you're USC, of course. So I'll, I'll just get into the negatives here then, Shotgun. My, my first one, 
I'm sure he's still dealing with the hamstring injury, but my first one is where's Boogie Ellis because he just has not been himself and USC desperately needs scoring. They desperately need offense. And he's usually as the leading scorer on the team, the guy to provide it eight points against Cal three and nine from the field, seven points against Stanford, although Stanford probably wouldn't have mattered, but three of 11 from the field. He, he's just off right now. And that's even extended to the Oregon state game. When USC, everyone besides him played really well. He was only two of seven in that game for six points. He's not playing his best basketball. And we have to go all the way back to before he got hurt, I think to look at uh, a game he played really well. And that was the, the first Stanford game. So I'm sure that the injury is still bothering him, but a- after every home game, we've talked to him. He he's made the, he he's, hasn't made any excuses. He said, I, I I'm good. I, I need to be better. So uh, that's my first one. I, I already went through the runs that the scoreless streaks that Cal had, but I, I just felt like Cal gave USC the game and they couldn't take advantage. That was another one. And I think in a season like this shotgun where everything's sort of gone wrong, I, I think some of the recruiting misevaluations can start to to rear their ugly head. And I, I, I know injuries and different lineups and transfers leaving and, and, and USC, they've had to deal with more adversity than, than most teams this year, but I, I don't want to name specific names here, but I just think, all that stuff happened. It's unfortunate. Ideally, if you're USC, a power five program that's had a lot of success the last four years, you can get by better than USC has if you recruit at a at a good level. And I just think some of the recruiting stuff, it's pretty clear there there have been some misevaluations. And I know a lot of people are mad at the X's and O's with Andy Enfield and the staff, but I think we didn't talk enough about Reese Dixon Waters leaving and Trey White leaving and and guys who you could really, really rely on because when the guys you could really, really rely on got hurt this year, you just don't have a lot of reliable guys on this roster without those two transfers being there. And in the year that's been really, really ugly, I think we're seeing that more and more now, especially over the last two games. Uh, Real quick back to Boogie Ellis in the last, since he's come back from the injury, he's only shooting 30% 30 from the field. That's not 30% from three, just 30% from the field. Uh, so that's, you know, he, he's actually exactly 30% from three-point range and 30.2 from overall. So, yeah, you know, he's averaging 9.2 points in that stretch. He was averaging basically double that before. So, you know, it, it, he hasn't been the same, and it's part of the reason why USC hasn't been good. The injuries, it, yes, evaluations play into it, but – your evaluation and recruiting is we're going to have a healthy Boogie Ellis that's going to score 15 to 20 points every night. We're going to have a healthy Isaiah Collier that's going to continue to progress as the season goes along and become, you you know, the, the guy by the end of the season. And I feel like you're going to have a healthy Bronny James. Who's going to be a three and D guy for you that can come off the bench. You're going to have a healthy Vincey, which like it, it all goes back to the injuries. Now, if you want to throw it on to that part of recruiting and say, Hey, you got to evaluate the injuries too, which you do, then I would be more apt to it. But it, I don't think that this necessarily, the piece is not fitting together because I think it's things aren't there because of guys not being able to progress because of their injuries. Like Vinci Wachukwu would be further along if it wasn't for the last two years of him. Like if Vinci Wachukwu in a different alternate realm doesn't have the heart issue, doesn't have the back injury, he's not with USC next year. He's he's in the NBA. 
because he's progressed for two years and we've seen the, the we've seen those little snippets and I'm like, okay, that could be an NBA guy. But that's not the case. And now he's got to get over all the the not great tape that he's put out to show NBA scouts of what he can do going forward. So uh, it's it's when you have all those injuries on such a small roster, on a football roster you can get away with 20 people being out. It's not easy. But because it's only a portion of it in basketball, when you have three guys out, you only play seven or eight man rotation, a lot different. So I, I think they've been crushed by those injuries, but they have not handled it great. I would say that for sure. No, uh, and I agree. I agree with you. But the last two games, they have had everyone outside of Brandon Gardner and Boogie's clearly not himself. But I think on the road, Cal Stanford, it's been a bad year, but you have everyone. I, I think the expectation should be that you, you find you lose a tough Cal game, but then to lose against Stanford 99 to 68, I, I think having everyone and losing like that is, is obviously unacceptable. So I, I totally get what you're saying shotgun, but I, I do think these last two games, they have had everyone and it really hasn't mattered. Well, they've got had half a boogie. So honestly, I don't, th- I don't think he should be playing as many minutes as he is right now. Like if he's not healthy, why is he playing 34 to 36 minutes a game? Like that's another, that's an issue I have. So my negatives were rebounding when we saw that they can rebound against not great rebounding teams against Oregon state. But my goodness, someone, (laughs) someone go get a rebound. Like, and I know the coaches are frustrated. Um, and I'm sure the players are frustrated. Probably the guards are really frustrated there's so many times when the ball is touching players' hands and they don't get a rebound. Like that has to be the biggest frustration of all for the coaching staff and for like the teammates. Like you had the ball in your hands. Why do we not have possession right now? Like that happens way, way, way too often. Like someone go get a rebound. The rebound's terrible. And then my other negative that I put, um, you know, since I was only doing two, unlike you, um, <laughs> was I put everything. Everything is bad right now. So, all right, that's that's one way to do it. (laughs) Let's move on. Let's go back to some positives. Uh, Let's talk. Go to our juice juice section. Uh, Juju Watkins and Zay Collier, the two number one recruits in the nation. What stood out to you this week about Juju Watkins and the the hoopla, the everything that surrounds her? What stood out to you from from her game this week? Well, you kind of stole my thunder here because I was going to yes. talk about her her free throws, yes. which we already <laughs> we already hit on. Because if if you look from from the field, what she's been doing, it, it certainly isn't as efficient as it was against Stanford. But you can never expect that, of course. She just hasn't been very efficient from the field. But then when you're getting to the line as often as she is and shooting, what was it, ninety three percent? Like you said in the last thirteen games, that is a recipe for success. And I think. How many, how many times shotgun have I talked about her getting tired and me being concerned on this show? I, I I think the Stanford game and her staying in the gym until the guard called Coach Gottlieb and said, "Hey, can we kick her out? Uh, it's kind of late." I like I I just think you know sometimes the great players like a LeBron that they're just always available and they can just do whatever it takes. We'll see. I, I don't want to jinx anything here, but I, I my concerns about her fatigue are. are getting uh, less and less by the day. I just think she's an all timer and someone who's going to just be available. And that's so awesome because the worst thing in the world is when someone has all the talent in the world, but their body lets them down. 
Yeah, she has been fantastic. Um, I'm not as concerned about the efficiency the last couple games. I would love for her to shoot 50%. Like, that's always the goal. You want to see it because it's easy to see in the stat line. Like, oh, they made at least 50%. They made more than half. But the last three games, 44%, 44%, 39%. Those aren't the greatest numbers, but you can live with those. Because the numbers before the Stanford game, those are the ones that are concerning. Against Washington, 29.6, 37, 36.4. She'd have a, a, a 50% shooting game against Utah before that, 36, 38, 33, 29, 38. You notice how all those, except for one or two, are below 39%. In the last three games, all three of them have been. So not as concerned, even though 9 of 23 doesn't look great. If you make one more and you're 10 of 24, it looks a lot better just because you're double digits versus that 20. But she's taking a ton of shots. Um, and that's another thing that you have to figure out, you know, is do we pull back the number of shots she's taking, get her back to the 18 range? Maybe that's better for the team, or is it better for her to be shooting those shots? And that's the question you have to answer. You know, are they wide open Caleb Padilla threes, or is it you know, Rhea Marshall in traffic with the shot clock running down or McKenzie Forbes in traffic with, you know, that's the deciding factor on, you know, what shot is going to be taken, whether or not you want Juju to be shooting a jumper over someone or someone else. Um, the two things that I have standing out, we'll go with a positive being, a, you know, 30 point performances twice. Again, she's got nine on the season. Ridiculous. She's played 21 games. So, if she gets two more in a row, you know, you're basically at every other game. She's getting 30 uh, in a game. She's one 30 point performance from the school record in a season from tying Cheryl Miller, Cheryl Miller at 10. She's also one from tying Lisa Leslie's career mark. And that's <laughs> just, that's, you know, mind blowing to me. She almost, she had one more 30 point game and she will tie as many as Lisa Leslie had. And she'll then be tied for third place. There's only three people that have had at least 10 uh, 30-point performances at USC, and she would join the company of Cheryl Miller and uh, Sherry Nelson So, and Lisa Leslie. that Terrific company. Outstanding. The one negative I want to put, say, is that I feel like there's times when she's choosing to attack when she's just, she, it's just not trusting her teammates. And I remember one drive in particular, Kayla Padilla was open outside. I don't remember if this was during her stretch run where she was knocking everything down, but it was kind of a transition. It's kind of a secondary break. And Juju chose to attack against two defenders, two defenders in the lane. She chose to attack. She may have even scored on the play, but if she kicks it out, she has wide open Kayla Padilla. And I feel like there's been a couple of times where, you know, that she has an opportunity to pass it out. And sometimes it's a longer pass cross court, different things, and those can be dangerous rather than taking on multiple defenders. So, you know, and it could just be she knows she can do it and she doesn't want to trust anybody else, you know, the Kobe Bryant method. But I think that for for this team to get as far as it can go, and we've seen some great examples of her driving into traffic and kicking and, and teammates having wide open threes. Taylor Bibby had one in one of the games this week uh, as well. I think that's something that – you know, that I would pull up those clips if I was Lindsay Gottlieb and be like, look, it's Kayla in the corner. You know, Kayla's going to knock that down type of thing. And just say, just make sure we're trusting our teammates not to be negative about it, but it's just something that could help elevate this team even more, I think. 
I agree with that. And I think as the years gone on, the supporting cast has improved. And I think Good point. as time goes on, Juju, I like in practice or just through playing, will develop that trust more because Caleb Padilla, I was looking at her stats because we're going to talk to her later, of course. And she's at the same clip that she was at, at Penn. And, and it's obviously a step up in competition for her. And she's just doing what she does, which is make threes. So I think she's sort of proven, hey, I'm a three-point shooter. You could trust me. And Mackenzie Forbes, she's earned the trust. Kaylin Davis, she's so efficient. It, it might not be her shooting jump shots, but uh, if Juju drives and, and she can dish it for a layup to, to Kaitlyn Davis, I think she's someone who's starting to earn trust. And I, I totally get what you're saying, Shotgun, and the great players, that's just going to happen sometimes where they think a better shot is them going up against two or three defenders because they're just so good. Um, I, I do expect, though, as the year goes on, that to be worked out a little bit. And then sometimes maybe it, it won't always be worked out because Juju's so good and that's sort of that killer Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality like you talked about. But I, I could see that trending in the right direction as time goes on because earlier in the show or when we were doing this at first, I just remember talking about I need to see more from the other team, other people on the team. I need to see more. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen more. So that's been that's been great. And I, I think we're going to see some changes for the better with what you talked about. Also, didn't mention this, but and I don't want to blow her up when we're actually talking to her, but Caleb Padilla, she's got three turnovers in the last eight games combined. That's ridiculous. So she handles the ball a ton. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she's just catching lobs down low or something. She handles the ball a ton. It's amazing. 24 assists to three turnovers the last eight games. So she's averaging three assists and you know barely turns the ball over. So she's been outstanding, um, which is why we're getting her on the show, obviously. Um, but that, that's our, our Jew portion of our Jew's A section. How about Isaiah Collier? Um, you know, what did you notice? What did you hear? What did you see uh, around his game this week? I felt like he played with a little bit more of a sense of urgency. I don't know if you felt like that shotgun, but just it's obviously not going well at USC. They they need scoring and, and he provided it with that. I wonder too, if the break, maybe he was looking at draft projections or talking to people. And I, I don't know what he's being told. I, I just felt like he kind of was playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in that second half against Cal and against Stanford. He was really the only player on USC who, who was consistently doing anything on offense. And it seems like to me, he, he's motivated, he's locked in and the team has its issues. We, we've been through them. I, I feel like he's playing a little bit differently than he was before his injury. The free throws are, are, are a problem, of course, 21 of, of 30, I think. He, he just needs to do a better job at the line. He, he's not really taking a lot of jumpers. He's attacking, which I, I think is great. That's what he does best. Um, but even though his game has been sort of limited and he's just coming back from missing six games, I, I, I do think as he gets more time under his belt, the jump shot will, will get better. The free throws will get better. But it really looked like to me in terms of what he's done best, he hasn't missed a beat and he's playing with a sense of urgency and in a season that's been disappointing, he's something you can look at these past couple of games and say, Hey, I, I kind of like what he's doing. And he's potentially a, a lottery pick of course. And if I was a diehard USC basketball fan, I wouldn't be excited to watch a lot of these games, but he's someone who's keeping me interested. Yeah. You want to see what he does every game. And uh, you know, he, my portion of this would be he did everything he could against Cal. Yeah except make that go-ahead free throw. Um, So that was the disappointing thing because he had done so well in that game uh, that it comes out. He finished 12-16 from three throws, but like I said, he was 9-9 in the second half until that final one. And I'm not – the free throws aren't great, obviously. He went 8-15 for against Stanford. Doesn't matter because the game was a blowout. But I I think it's also – that's a product of the hand. 
because you can't shoot with a broken hand, you know, when you're in rehab, you can do defensive drills, you can stay in shape. And I think he's come back. I think that's one thing I did want to point out is that he looks in better shape after yeah. the break, uh, after coming back from the injury. And I think you're seeing that has elevated his game a little bit. So I think that was a, you know, a, a lesson or a learning moment for him when he's come back, and he's in better shape. He's like, Oh, I can do, I can do this a little bit better. I can do that a, a little bit better um, because sometimes you come into a season you and you, someone who takes so much physical contact, you want to have a little bit of weight to be able to absorb the contact. And also as the season progresses, you see that some in football as well. Uh, but I, I think with a drop of a couple of pounds or whatever it was, I, I think he was more fluid when he came back and the, the shooting I think will get better as he can just get more reps in from, you know, having his hand back and being able to shoot. I'm sure he shot plenty of free throws and plenty of jumpers when he came back, but you did notice there were times where there was one, at least uh, I saw a highlight where I can't remember which game it was. I think it was Stanford game, but it was wide open at the top of the key and chose to immediately catch the ball and drive into the lane. And normally that's one he would shoot just because he's wide open there, but he was attacking immediately on it. Um, And I think that's all because like, doesn't necessarily have the confidence back in the shot because he hasn't been able to shoot for you know three weeks or whatever it is four weeks, uh, so I, I think that's that's part of it. So I, I'm still looking forward to seeing how he progresses the the last few weeks of the season. It's still fun to watch him. It's still fun to watch a lottery pick uh, in, in action and to see him grow. We're seeing him grow, and I think that small thing of him having lost a couple pounds with some extra conditioning during the break, I think shows a little bit of growth as well. Our last section. Uh, what about what about our stunting like my daddy? LeBron James Jr., Bronny James, did, uh, didn't really notice him this week, to be honest. I think that's really the takeaway um, from him. Two for seven against Stanford, against Cal. It was one for five, so, you know, not much there to, to really note, I don't think. I, I think it's funny that there's a lot of outrage that he gets booed so much from USC fans. Why is he getting booed? What is he? Do? It's because people don't like his dad. Hello. And that's sports. Sorry. That's my, that's my piece. <laughs> uh, I, besides the poor shooting, I, he's still doing what you need him to do. Three assists to one turnover against Stanford. Uh, I think he had one assist, no turnovers against Cal. So he's taking care of the basketball. That's important. Playing solid defense. I don't think he's been anything spectacular about his defense. The biggest thing to note was this week was his, the rumor or the sourced information that his dad would take less money to potentially play with him next season from certain teams. I don't I don't know if you saw that news article. I just saw the headline, so I didn't get a full chance to to read what it said behind the you know anonymous sources on this one saying what LeBron might do next year. It just pretty much was if a team and maybe he has a list that we don't know about, but if a team drafts Bronny, there's a chance LeBron would go there to, p- to play with the son. So maybe, I, I don't know how it's all going to work like in the back channels. Cause like, what if the wizards take him and LeBron's like, okay, the wizards are not good. And I don't want to play it. Like <laughs> does LeBron have enough power to dictate where Bronny goes? I would say yes. But if you're a team that, is maybe on the cusp of the playoffs or not very good. And you just want to generate some buzz. Is it worth like poking the Hornets nest? That is the James camp and drafting Bronny to try to get LeBron. If you're just not a contender, I don't, I don't know how that all works and how that's all going to shake out. I imagine 
with all due respect to Bronny, I, I don't think he's, and it'd be largely because he's been hurt with the heart thing. I, I don't think he's done enough to, to show that right now he's like this can't miss sure thing prospect. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does fall a little bit in a team that LeBron would want to go to. Maybe it's even the Lakers has the chance to take him and he can play alongside his son. I think if it was like this guy is a number one overall prospect, surefire, can't miss guy, then we'd be having a different conversation. But just because Bronny's sort of been, you know, the 5.8 points per game and just not playing a ton, largely because of his heart, that sort of changes the uh, equation for me. Yeah, we don't even know if he's an NBA level guy yet. I still don't think exactly. that's that's solid. I mean, he can play defense and we think he can do that. But remember, he's he's small. Like you have to be able to do more than just play defense if you're six foot two. Like look at Jordan McLaughlin. Like he barely plays. He was so electric at USC, but uh, he's a bench guy and he's got to do more. He's got to be able to defend, pick and roll. Okay, you're now on a seven footer. You're on Wimby. What are you going to do? Like those type. And you have to be able to shoot. And he hasn't shown any shoot at this level yet. That's the biggest thing. He has to show that first before. He becomes a potential actual draft prospect. Now, the thing is, what I think would happen is LeBron, there would be draft discussions with teams, and LeBron could say, you draft, no, I'm not coming to your team if you draft him. And so he would be, if if LeBron is, is part of a package deal, then he will be overdrafted. Now, whether that's a couple spots or five spots or suddenly he's in the, the teens or something, like that's, I don't know the exact extent of the overdraft, but he would be overdrafted because teams would say, okay, well, we're getting LeBron for a year. So we'll do it. We'll, you know, we'll pick, you know, uh, a guy that isn't as high on our board. And I think that would come up in the draft conversation. So if it is the Wizards, Wizards is like, yeah, we really like him. We, we have this pick at whatever, 18. We, if, he, if he's still there, and he'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not playing for you guys. And they'd be like, all right, we're not going to waste our 18th pick on Bronny because he's 34 on our board or whatever. So I, I think that's where that would potentially come into play. But again, this reminds me somewhat of the Caleb Williams stuff. Is like these things come get thrown out there. And like I don't even know where the original report came from. And like maybe it is straight from the James camp. How much is Bronny even – has this been discussed with Bronny? Like sometimes there's things that dad says that aren't run by Bronny at all. So, you know, what is he thinking? Does he thinking he's ready to go to the NBA? He's pretty down to earth kid. I bet he's going, yeah, I haven't shown enough to be an NBA prospect. So I think all those things will play into it. I think he's at this moment, best served to come back to USC. Absolutely. And play another year. Um, And, and then, then the question becomes, all right, what's Andy Enfield's status? Is he coming back to does the James camp like Andy Enfield enough uh, to say, <laughs> Hey, we're going to stay here if we're going to go back to college or do they try to move him to somewhere else? like all that then plays into it. He could go on the transfer portal and be, you know, the hottest name in the transfer portal because of what his name is. Anyway, we'll, if all that comes up, then we'll get to it. We'll discuss it on the triple double, but right now we're going to jump into our break. And then when Connor and I return, We'll have our special guest for this week, USC guard Kayla Padilla, joining us to discuss the women of Troy's recent surge and big-time road trip coming up. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or the basketball pod in the headline and make sure it gets directed to us. We now welcome in this week's guest, USC graduate senior guard, Kayla Padilla. Kayla's made the unique trip from Torrance to Philly and now back to LA, getting to be in the hometown, played four years at Penn in the Ivy League. You were not allowed to play as a grad student, so she had her options after the COVID year, decides to come home. We're going to ask her about that, but we're super excited to have KP join us. The Silent Assassin, I've learned, is the nickname for, which seems to be fitting, especially the way we've seen her shoot the three ball. Kayla, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Tell me first about the nickname. Where, when did the Silent Assassin come about as a nickname for you? Uh, you know, as a as a as a sniper on the outside, a three point shooter, um, and then it seems kind of fit your personality a little bit too. Yeah, I feel like all the nicknames I've been given have not come from me. I'm not a big nickname person, but I'll welcome it from other people. Uh, I think Silent Assassin specifically came from my trainer. I think it had to do with like some merch we put out when NIL first started, but it's definitely fitting to my personality. I feel like I'm pretty even kill on the court won't get too high won't get too low and like you said doing my best to be a sniper especially from three-point range uh so yeah that's where it came from Kayla thank you for joining us so we all watched the Arizona game you played fantastic and then after you have that great moment with Cheryl Miller off to the side she gives you a big hug and uh you guys embraced for a long time what did that mean to you that interaction yeah it's it's pretty surreal I mean I'm so happy it got captured on camera but to think about where I was a year ago, or even just to think about like growing up in LA, knowing USC basketball, knowing the history, just to have Cheryl Miller just be a huge supporter of our program, of our team, and to have her on the sidelines is amazing. Um, and yeah, just that special moment, she kept telling me to be aggressive, just to continue to be a leader. Um, but those are the kind of moments you dream about. Not everyone gets the opportunity to you know, have that sort of relationship with the GOAT of college basketball. Uh, so her support just means so much to me and to all of us on the team. Gotta say, I was definitely jealous of that. Uh, you know, Cheryl <laughs> is, like you said, the GOAT. She's she's one of a kind and uh, such a unique player uh, back in her day as well. But I gotta, gotta ask, which was better, the love from her or in the Penn graduation speech, getting a shout out from oh, Adina man. Menzel? I mean, you're, you're just big timing it over here. <laughs> I will say, like, having Cheryl around a lot, it, it definitely, like, obviously, you'll never sort of, be able to wrap your head around that but the adina menzel shout out did catch me by surprise so i might have to to give her 
the the point on that one. Kayla, when you chose to leave Penn and play another year of basketball after graduating, what was your recruitment like? Were you hoping to come back home and USC just made sense or were other teams in on you too? I think in the back of my mind, I always wanted, you know, my next step to be closer to home, but I was trying to keep an open mind. Uh, I think as it was in high school, the biggest priority for me was sort of making a lateral move academically. Um, academics are super important to me and it's hard to sort of beat coming from one of the best business schools in the country. Um, but in addition to academics, wanted a place where I could go to win, to, to, be, to go dance in, to be a national championship contender. And then UF, USC sort of fit um, all the boxes for that one. And on the cherry on top was it being 20 minutes away from where I live. Um, so it's a pretty cool storybook ending to my college career. You're going through that recruitment. You saw USC last year. They get into the tournament. Hey, they kind of break a, a streak of not being in. But you, you, as you're going growing up and as you go through high school and stuff, you've seen they haven't had a ton of success. So what went into that? You know, what was the conversation like with, with Lindsay when on that recruiting visit? And I know you were you were here as well with uh, was it were, were Katie and Mackenzie both on the same trip? Were all three on the trip or was it just two of you? I can't remember. It off was the top just, of my head. Uh... Yeah, it was just me and Kenzie. Okay. Um, so so two of you, uh, you know, Ivy League uh, players that know each other, and you guys are both on this official visit and decide to commit on the visit, if, if I remember reading the story correctly. But when you're on that visit, what sells you on USC as far as the basketball program? Because you talk about, hey, being a national championship contender, and that's not something we would have said about USC, right. you know, for the last decade or so. Yeah, I mean, I think just to rewind um, – a lot of the, the girls on this roster, like I played against a lot of L.A. kids, even Kayla Williams, I played high school with. So sort of having that relationship already was a big plus. Um, and the fact that Coach Lindsay went to Brown, so another Ivy League person. So she definitely understands the, the Ivy League lifestyle and how someone playing in that conference might transition and be successful in the Pac-12. So I think sort of her comprehension of that was another um, big plus but by the time I was really like heavily considering USC Juju was already committed um, so that elevates a program you know tenfold um, so the promise to sort of be a part of an up-and-coming program more so um, to play alongside someone like Juju who is a generational talent um, sort of that message sold itself and then like you said being able to take that visit with Kenzie was super cool I think having that special moment and special bond from the get-go um, sort of set us off on a good path. Kayla, looking at your three-point numbers this year, almost at 50%, it's almost as if half the time you shoot three goes in, which is crazy. Is there a push from the coaching staff? Do they want you to be more aggressive? Because I feel like when your shot is, when you're taking your shot, a lot of the time it's going in. I know you have Juju Watkins and some other talented teammates, but do the coaches want you to be more aggressive because you're hitting it at such a high rate right now? Yeah, definitely. I think the the message from the coaches from the get-go has just been to continue to hunt my shots and be aggressive. Um, I mean, it's definitely been a, a bit of a role change for me coming from Penn, where I was looked to as the primary scorer playing more of a shooting guard. Um, but I was more than happy and willing to make this adjustment be, just because I knew this was um, a good piece for me and whatever it took for us to get more wins and to get us further, I'd be more than happy to do. Um, but yeah, since day one, there's been nothing but confidence and empowerment from not not only my coaches, but my teammates to still maintain that scores mentality and, and to, to let it fly for sure. Yeah. Talk about that transition of roles. I mean, you come from being the, the leader in the Ivy league and scoring 
most scorers don't like to transition from, you know, having the ball in their hands and, and putting up shots. So, you know, how did that conversation go? And, you know, how did you kind of accept that? And, and did it take a little bit of time? Because it felt like early in the season, it, it felt like you were still trying to find your spots a little bit about when do I actually attack? When do I take the shot versus when do I facilitate and kind of run the offense? Yeah, it's, it's been a transition for sure. But again, one, I was more than willing to make uh, – Coach Lindsay did a great job at being super transparent. I mean, I knew it was going to be a step up coming from a mid-major conference to now one of arguably the best conferences in the country. Um, so to be able to fill this role has been a great challenge for me, one I've been willing to accept. Um, and like you said, it took me a bit of time to find my groove, but um, I've been supported along the way and happy that we're sort of clicking at the right time and my shots are falling in, um, you know, to propel us to get some more conference wins. Nothing is guaranteed when you enter that transfer portal. We see with the football team, some highly touted guys come in, and for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. Happens all over the place in a whole bunch of different sports. For you, you come to USC, the team's 18-4. and You're a starter, playing really well. Is is this going about as you expected? Could it be much better? I feel like you're in the perfect situation. I'm so happy for you. And just fill me in on just how thankful you are to be at USC because a lot of times people transfer and it doesn't work out like this. Right. Yeah, no, this whole journey has been pretty surreal. I mean, again, going back to when the Ivy League canceled their sophomore season or what what was my sophomore season, there was a lot of unknowns. Um, Like, am I going to get this extra year of basketball back? Will I be at Penn? Will I have an opportunity to go somewhere else? And I feel like it all sort of came full circle again when I had the chance to reenter this uh, recruiting process. And especially given the fact that I, I think I was pretty under the radar during high school and Um, was getting offers and letters from mid-major schools at best. Uh, So I feel this grad recruiting process um, really sort of affirmed the success I had at Penn. And I was hearing from the schools I wish I heard from in high school. And and to be able to land at a school like USC where, um, you know, the promise was so high, I feel that my journey thus far, it's exceeded expectations. I mean, obviously, we wish we uh, could have gotten a few of those losses back and, and came back to win. Um, but I'm just really proud of how this team is doing. And, you know, even outside of the basketball floor, just to be in L.A., just to be close to home, um, nothing more I could ask for. It's been a re- really unique roster um, from that Lindsey Gottlieb has constructed, obviously bringing in Juju. Everyone's super excited. What can a freshman do? But the addition of you three, uh, the Ivy League grad transfers, just adds that experience, adds depth, adds some physicality with, with KD and, and McKenzie as well. Um, the fact that they're so versatile and the fact you can play shooting guard or point guard, the versatility of you three, I, I think, has really stood out. What was? Did you guys have a relationship at all? I know when you're playing someone in conference, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Uh, was there a relationship there before? And what's it been like uniting with two players that you know you were seeing on the other side, you were seeing in the film room, you know, yeah. when you're prepping for conference <laughs> games for for four years? Yeah, no, we truthfully didn't have much of a relationship. I mean, we've just looked at each other as competitors, but um, truthfully speaking, I've had nothing but respect for Katie and Mackenzie, especially like um, as, you know, playing against them. They've been hoopers and have carried their teams to a lot of success. So um, it's obviously much better to have them on my side rather than to play against them. Um, But it's been so cool to just get to know them outside of basketball and um, to be their teammates. It's funny, like sometimes I feel like we don't even really fully realize like how special it is that, you know, all of us were playing against each other just last year and now all of us are in the starting lineup. Um, so it's come full circle and 
you know, we still have our conversations about Ivy League basketball. Uh, Coach Lindsay likes to joke that us four are probably the only people on a Saturday who care about like a Penn versus Dartmouth game. Uh, <laughs> so it's fun to kind of carry that camaraderie over to the Pac-12. Let's talk about another one of your teammates. So with Juju, just first, what's it like having a teammate that has transcendent talent like her? And then I got to ask about the Stanford game, you having yeah. a front row seat to that 51 point performance. What was that like? What was the aftermath like? I know that's like three questions there, but take that wherever you want to go. <laughs> yeah, no, playing with Juju has been so special. It's hard to put into words. I feel like I've gotten a lot of questions as to like, you know, what has, what have you taught Juju and like, how does she look up to, you know, the veteran players, but I feel like it's so much more of like a symbiotic relationship where we learn so much from her as well. Um, I, not, I can't speak for everyone, but I've never played with someone of her sort of status of her skill of just her greatness. So it's awesome just to learn so much from her and the way she plays. Um, but yeah, that Stanford game specifically, man, like, just again, being on the court with her, it's, you're trying to stay locked in the moment and always trying to get the win, but you continue to look up at that scoreboard and just see her climbing in points and 30, 40, and finally getting those two free throws to hit 50. It's just a super surreal moment, but I feel like none of us were truly surprised. Like we knew she was capable of doing that. And again, I won't be surprised if she happens to surpass that mark and continue to break records as we go forward. Well, let's not give her too much credit for 51. I mean, she missed two free throws in that oh, game. Well, she was 17 of 19. I mean, come on. <laughs> She's shooting 93% her last 13 yeah. games to the free throw line. It's Crazy. basically become automatic. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to talk about you being, you know, one of the things you've written um, is that you're more than an athlete. And, you know, that's something that's really important to you. So for one, it is being a Filipino American. What does it mean for you to represent for Filipino Americans and play, get to play in front of more of them now in Los Angeles? I know you have family and friends as right. well, but just, you know, there's a, the, a, a much bigger Filipino American uh, community in Los Angeles that can come out and, you know, that you can represent for. What's that meant for you? Yeah, no, thank you for asking this question because it means a ton. Um, you know, as I played basketball and like continued to obviously play at the collegiate level, um, you, re you realize that, you know, there's so there's such an impact you can make beyond just like what you do on the floor. And I think that space for me has been, you know, impacting the Filipino community in a positive way. Um, it's unfortunate, but like, again, there's not a lot of Asian American in general, but more specifically Filipino representation, especially at the D1 level. Um, so to be able to be a role model or an example for someone, you know, the younger version of myself who was hoping to see someone um, who look like me of someone who's of the Filipino culture play at this level. Um, I'm just trying to do my best to to be a great example and to sort of be a shining light to know, um, you know, that it's possible to get here and to be, you know, successful at this level. And Kayla, you're also the founder and editor in chief of the sideline post. Can you fill in our listeners what that is and how you got involved with that? Yeah, so the Sideline Post is modeled after the Players' Tribune, which was founded by Derek Jeter, but it's essentially a space for collegiate, collegiate athletes like myself to share their stories through their own words. Um, I feel like it's a, a very unique sort of space, given that a lot of, you know, what you hear from a college player's perspective is often through, like, you know, other people's words, but this space is for athletes to write the stories themselves and to talk a little bit more about themselves beyond how many points they score or the the jersey number they wear, but to talk about, you know, real important topics like mental health, body image, um, sort of 
the deeper topics that may not get shared over a game. Um, so it's been a super fulfilling process to have found that and it's still currently up and running. Um, so it's been awesome to just get to know athletes all over the country and again, to share these stories for fans and players alike to read. What's been one of the more interesting stories you've gotten to tell on the site? There's been quite a few. I mean, our, our first story was actually from a guy named John Mechie, um, who's now on the Houston Texans. I mean, him coming from Alabama and propelling himself to the NFL was a great way for us to start. Um, but I feel like a lot of uh, the stories we've had have been players from Penn. So it's been a, a unique sort of uh, experience for me to, you know, have these people as peers, but to get to know a lot more about them beyond, again, their athletic pursuits um, through their stories. So there's been a ton off the top of my head, but um, having those stories come out on our platform have been especially special to me. How do you get in touch with like a John Mechie? Is it just reaching out via social media or do you have someone help you with that? I understand when you're at Penn, it's probably easier to get some Penn athletes on, mm -hmm. but when you're yeah. trying to get football players or other athletes from all over the country, what's that process like? Yeah, I mean, luckily for that story, I had a close friend at Penn who was close friends with John Mechie. But I think, you know, the means of our outreach from the sideline post, um, I've tried to directly reach out to athletes myself and just being able to really share our mission and just kind of share what we're about. Almost 100% of the athletes are like more than willing and super happy to be a part of the process just because, again, there's, I don't think there's a lot of platforms like this. So athletes like to jump on this opportunity whenever they can. Well, we'll look forward to, to reading some more. just found out about today when I was doing some research on you. I was like, oh, I got to check some more oh. of these out. Uh, we want to get you out of here real quick, but got to ask you about, you know, the weekend trip you guys got coming up. You guys have built some momentum the last couple of weeks coming off that Bay Area trip, but a really important trip when you go up to Oregon, got to take care of business against them and be in the lower half and just kind of how the Pac-12 is kind of shaking out. But Oregon State is on fire right now, and that place has been a den of horrors for both men and women in the past. Yeah. So uh, for USC, so you know, what, what have you guys been doing well to build the momentum you've had recently and how do you continue that on the road when that's been the place where you guys have struggled a little bit? Yeah, I think for us, it's just having the mentality to take it day by day, obviously got to take care of Oregon first and then on to Oregon state. Um, but I think, you know, we've had a bit of a, a sort of rocky period in conference, but I think the important thing for us has been to, have valuable takeaways from those losses and, and not just use it as a way to put us down, but something to propel us forward. So I think we've uh, learned a lot of lessons, um, obviously, are really being able to find our groove right now in conference and just are hoping to continue that this weekend. And I, of course, we have the added bonus of our, having played or the organs already. Um, so I think getting those two wins early on um, is giving us a little a cushion going into this weekend as well. I got to ask you real quick, uh, we got Lindsay on right after you guys lost to Washington, and she was okay. super fiery. So I got to ask you, how, yeah. what was she like in practice that week? Because the next game you guys play, you go to Stanford and, you know, get the big upset. Right. Yeah, I mean, Coach Lindsay, she, she definitely gets us fired up. Um, but, I mean, yeah, we were that loss to Washington, you know, took a big toll on us. Um, but the first thing we did uh, the next practice was watch film and just – we're ready to accept that we were going to see things that we didn't like, but were things that we had to watch and go through in order for us to learn. So I think that was the biggest emphasis from her. Um, but I think she told us like everything sort of happens for a reason, as much as we wanted to get that Washington win, we're not sure that if we hadn't got that loss that we'd come out with that much fire for the Bay area sweep. Um, so I think that message really reverberated and um, you know, again, we're 
trying to keep that momentum that started there and, and carry it on this weekend. Well, it's been really fun to watch you this season and kind of your transition, but also the entire team, how you guys are kind of figuring out the roles as the season has gone along. The hot start, a little bit of bumps in the road. Now you've got some momentum. We'll see if you guys can carry it through in this super tough Pac-12. I mean, with with six teams all in what the top 15, top 20, every weekend there's a top 25 matchup. It's been really fun to watch, and we look forward to seeing you the rest of the season. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the USC Triple Double Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. And like I said, we look forward to seeing uh, you know what the silent assassin can do on the outside, <laughs> knocking down some more threes as the season progresses. Thank you, guys. Spot on. That was awesome. Thanks so much to KP for joining us. Connor, you know, I, I think we had the same reaction when we stopped the recording there to to let her get off, but so much fun chatting with her. She had so much, so many interesting things to say. What kind of stood out to you though? Yeah, I love the symbiotic relationship that Juju has with her teammates. It's such an interesting situation for Juju being a true freshman and being new to college basketball, but being the day one best player on the team. And it seems like just that could maybe create some culture problems or some issues and it just hasn't. And it seems like players like Kayla Padilla are a big reason why and Mackenzie Forbes and Caitlin Davis, all the the grad transfers, everyone who is in more of a veteran role on this team, they understand it. And I just think the culture on that team is really, really good. And I'm sure Kayla Padilla and it just based on what she's had to say is a big, big reason why. Yeah. We, we, I felt like we could probably talk to her for another 30, 45 minutes if we had the time. We didn't want to spend too much time because they're about to to hop on their uh their flight up to to Oregon here in the next, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours, somewhere in there. So uh, let her get some rest, get ready to go and play against two uh tough teams up in the bay uh, up in the in uh Oregon. Um so we'll see what they can do, but let, let's move forward. Let's see where they stand. How about the women? Seems like they're pretty holding steady pretty much right now after, you know, their two wins. Um, One of those wins, you know, they stayed at number 10 in the AP poll. One of those wins came before the poll came out because they did play Arizona on Monday night. And because of that, that game was not recorded in time for the, the voting. So, you know, if USC was to sweep the trip to Oregon, they will have three wins this week to, to, boost their resume uh, for, for voters and whatnot. So we'll see if that helps them out if they try to move up a couple more spots. Yep, still number 10 in the AP poll. Same spot on the net ranking as well. It's 16th. Pac-12, they're 8-4, and four, which is tied for fourth with UCLA. Like we've discussed a lot, Chuck, and there's that top six, and then there's a bottom six in the Pac-12 for women's basketball right now. US, or USC, I almost called them UCLA. USC firmly in that top six, and if they can just keep winning games we'll see what happens they're still in that title hunt and what an exciting finish i'm so excited to see how they wrap up the regular season what they do in the pac-12 tournament because it looks like on any given day usc can beat anyone if they're playing their best basketball and then the ncaa tournament rolls around good vibes with the team right now which unfortunately we can't say for the men but i'm happy to have one of two at least Yeah, it's better to have something positive to talk about around here. Um, The interesting thing, uh, you mentioned their net ranking at State of 16. That is a big factor for the selection committee. It's something they use a lot. We'll see how important that is. We'll see USC's non-conference win over Ohio State, how that is factoring in, because the selection committee will be revealing the top 16 teams as of now 
on Thursday, I believe it is. Sometime this week, I believe it's on Thursday. So we'll see is USC in that mix. You know, sitting at 16th in the net, they're basically right on the bubble. And why is that important? Why is it important to be a top 16 seed? You know, one of the top 16 teams in the in the tournament, one of the teams that seeded one through four in each bracket. Why is that important? Those 16 teams host opening weekend. So that is super valuable to be able to have two games at home um, at, at the Galen Center USC would potentially have. So we'll see how the selection committee kind of views them. You know, starting with the the selection on Sunday, and then you know we'll see if they have to do any work. If there's any teams that are a little bit lower than in the net ranking that rank over them, we'll see all those things. I think they've got a pretty good resume so far. You know, especially that road win over Stanford, the neutral site win over Ohio State. I would expect them to be in there, but you never know with the selection committee. Just go back to USC and uh, baseball last season. You thought they were pretty much solidly in. That didn't happen. Uh, what about the men? Where do they stand right now? Well, the men shotgun, it's just not as good. They dropped 12 <laughs> spots in the net after losing on the road to Cal and Stanford. They're down to 109th. They're 3-10 and 10 in the Pac-12, which is tied for last with Oregon State, and they're 9-15 and 15 overall. The one statistic I got to highlight, we've talked a lot about how bad their three-point defense has been. So Stanford setting the record with 19 threes, that obviously makes the three-point defense not look as good. USC is 333rd in the country in three point defense percentage allowed out of 351 division one teams, they give up 37% uh, to their opponents. It's a ugly, ugly stat. And that's the one I just needed to highlight there. They are in the bottom 6% in the nation in that. Uh, So yeah, that's probably not too good. Let's move forward though. They got a chance to play at home this weekend. They played much better at home than they have on the road. They will take on Utah on Thursday night. That game's going to be a late one, 8 p.m. against F on FS1. And then they will play again on Saturday against Colorado at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Can we switch the roles of the men and women, get more women's games on national TV and less men's games? I think USC fans would be happy with that because the ones that do watch the games just get upset, the men's games. They just get upset watching them. You know, our message board, our, me- our in-game threads and stuff. It's very fiery, it seems like, and that's a purposely used word um, there. Uh, they'll take on Utah. The Utes are 15-9. and nine. They're 6-7 and seven in the Pac-12. They were swept by the Arizona schools the last two games at home, but they lost to Arizona in triple overtime. What a fantastic game. One of the games of the year probably in the Pac-12, and I just think they came out flat against Arizona State after that. But what kind of stands out to you about the Utes? Well, this analysis reminds me of the the football team in the, in the fall. I, I think Utah is beatable, but I don't know if it's by USC. I believe I've used that line before on the show. Getting swept by those Arizona schools, it was impressive that they hung tough with that Arizona triple overtime. A home game like that, though, you, you got to win that game at, at some point before it goes to, to triple overtime. Credit to Arizona, but Utah, they had a lot of chances, and they just don't really make shots. That That's my my analysis with them. Brandon Carlson, a, a great big guy, 17 and seven. He averages on the year. USC will have a tough time with him, but they're not an offensive juggernaut. And I think USC can hang with them. The problem is they're really, they're not a really good rebounding team, but they're, they're a really good defensive rebounding team. So teams who who don't rebound the ball very well on the offensive end, don't get a lot of second chance points. They're 10th nationally in defensive rebounds per game. So just 
I think on paper, they got a good big guy. They're pretty solid on the boards. I don't think that's a recipe for success for USC. I don't really know exactly what would be a recipe for success for them right now. Uh, but I, I'm a little weary heading into this one. I, I think USC could win, but I think Utah is just a little bit better. And I, I would be surprised, I guess, if USC did win this one. Uh, they do have a shooter in Gabe Madsen who can, you know, has range, can shoot, get it off quickly too. He's, you know, flamed USC a couple times. And then Davion Smith is a guy who's come on in the last month or so with several double-digit performances, though 30 minutes against ASU with a zero burger in that one. Um, and he had one game against Washington State where he only had four. Everything else has been 16 to 20 you know, and pretty consistently. So he's been an interesting player that can score for them in bunches, but it hasn't been consistent. What about against Colorado on Saturday? Colorado has been USC's nemesis, you know, the Tad Boyle and Andy Enfield feud. Uh, USC earlier this season huge, jumps out to a huge lead with no Boogie Ellis, uh, no Isaiah Collier, Isaiah Sellers going off, and then it all came crumbling down in the second half. Uh, what what do you remember from that game and that can be taken forward to this game? Uh, it seems like Colorado's a beatable team, and they've really struggled on the road this season. For me, Colorado is one of the biggest disappointments in the Pac-12 so far. Their roster, I think, is is really good, and and they have just not been from a from a wins and losses standpoint as good as I think they probably should be. Seven and six in the conference, they they got crushed by by Arizona um, last week. So for me, I I think it's a tough matchup for USC, but I, I believe Colorado's beatable, and we saw without USC's two best offensive players. USC was up by 13 on the road against Colorado and Ozias Sellers had that great first half, but Colorado, they're solid. And KJ Simpson, he only scored nine against USC in that game, but he averages 19.4 points per game. So are you going to hold him under his average by 10 points again? I'm not so sure. Eddie Lampkin, I think is a solid center and a guy who could hurt USC because a lot of centers have been able to hurt him so far this season. In that first game, Javon Hadley had 15 points, nine rebounds, three assists. So I, I think Colorado, talent-wise, they're probably a little bit better than USC right now. I don't know for whatever reason why they're not playing as well as they should be. Tristan Da Silva is a guy who's getting a lot of preseason love in terms of like a first-team All-Pac-12 guy, and he, he sort of had a quiet game against USC in, in that first one. On paper, I, I really like Colorado, but for whatever reason, something's off with them a little bit, and I, I think USC has a shot to win that game. I, I kind of like USC's chances against Colorado more than I do against Utah, so we'll see. Interesting. And Tristan Da Silva, 15 and a half points. Cody Williams, who could be a top five yeah. pick next year, uh, 14 points. And this kind of similar where you add a high pro- high value prospect and you think okay that's going to take the team over with KJ Simpson coming back and the Silva coming back and it just hasn't come together now they've had some injuries that's played into it Cody Williams did miss some time as well but again that goes back to the impact of injuries in college basketball when you have such a small roster and you can't sign a free agent or whatever but they are one and six on the road so this is a team that USC is fully capable of beating even though they're 16 and 8 this is a team that USC should beat, I think. If they're that bad on the road, they should beat them. Let's move to the other side, though. Women's basketball, they go to play Oregon on Friday, so maybe they won't be flying out just yet. Uh, maybe they'll have one more day. But um, they will play Oregon Friday, 7 p.m. on Pac-12 Oregon, for those that get that channel and whatnot. Um, but Oregon 11-14, and 2-10 in the Pac-12. They're tied for last. They're not as bad as that record says. You know, against the non-ranked teams, they're like two and one, or you know, they're above five hundred. 
against the ranked teams. They've got one win, I think it is. Uh, they played Oregon State really tough rivalry game, but otherwise it has not been the case. They've been blown out by the, the better teams. They basically just play to their level, and their talent level is just not as good as the top 25 teams in the, the Pac-12. Doesn't mean they can't win at home, though. USC beat them earlier this year by 14. It kind of pulled away late, if I remember correctly. Uh, what has USC got to do to win this one? I think keep doing what they're doing, shotgun. Defend at a high level and keep those three-point shots rocking. Don't turn the ball over. It's sort of a blueprint of success that that USC's done. And you're absolutely right. Oregon, maybe not as bad as the record shows, but a team that even on the road, USC should win. And then that Oregon State game, It's this is a situation where USC, they could be caught looking ahead a little bit because Oregon State has had so much success, only three losses on the year. And that was a great game the first time those two teams played you got to take care of business against Oregon and then get to Oregon State I like what Caleb Padilla had to say we we asked her about Oregon State she said we got Oregon first so <laughs> I, I, it sounds like her, her mind's on it but it, it's like the Arizona schools for me shotgun this is a game where yeah Oregon might be a little bit better than those teams definitely better than Arizona State I think but you got to just get down to business win this game and take, it's, it's a team you should be uh, I'm, I'm rambling on here just beat the Ducks they're not that good uh, do watch out for 6'8 center Filipina Kaye, I believe is how you pronounce her name. She got off to a really good start against USC in that first matchup, and then Clarice Akinwafu came in and kind of shut her down, and she didn't get back going uh, again. So that'll be a, a key matchup because USC has struggled at times with those bigs down low in the Pac-12. And then move on to the game of the week, you know, and a game of the week probably in the Pac-12. I don't know who all else is on the schedule, but – on Sunday, USC will go to Corvallis, take on Oregon State at noon. That will be on the main Pac-12 network, so maybe some of you can actually catch that one. Uh, Oregon State, 20-3 and overall. They're 9-3 and in conference. One of those losses is to USC by two points, and they had three chances on the last possession to, to tie the game or to, to win it with a three. They shot really well from deep against USC in that first matchup, uh, and that was kind of keeping them in it. Talia Von Allhoffen had a really big game in that one, uh, and they actually, USC, Reagan Beers got in trouble, foul trouble early, didn't really do much. She scored some points late, but she ended up with 9.8 rebounds. That's way down on our averages and what she's fully capable of. Can they do that again? Can you do that in Gill Coliseum? And I expect it to be rocking because, again, there's not much to do in Corvallis, and they understand that this women's basketball program is is kind of the breadwinner right now in during this time of the year in the winter section. And unless the fans are off in surprise, Arizona, where I'll be, you know, this week to see the Oregon State baseball team start their run, uh, you know, maybe th- maybe there'll be some fans missing. That would be good for USC because Gil Coliseum, when it gets going, it gets going, it gets rocking. It could be, like I said, it's been a den of horrors, a house of horrors for USC men's and women's basketball in the past. It's not been a place where USC teams have played very well. So we'll see what they can do in that one. I think it's a, a huge matchup. And I mentioned that why is this so big? because you want to avoid playing an extra day in the Pac-12 tournament. And this is the type of game that can move you from being stuck in that tie with UCLA to bumping up because and USC is going to, if they win against Oregon, they're going to move out of the tie with fourth. Uh, now they'll either be in the tie for third or a three, a three-way tie there because either Oregon state in front of them is losing or UCLA is losing. So, you know, they have an opportunity this weekend to move up because we'll see if UCLA can win both those games. We'll see if 
you know, if USC and UCLA can beat Oregon State and not knock them down a peg, all those things will be factored in. But if USC can win, they move up, they move into the top three, and depending on other results, they can move up to the top two, or even, you know, if Stanford has a really bad weekend, they can move up into a tie with Stanford. So huge weekend in that regard, and you want to stay out of the first day of action. You want one of those top four seeds so that you get a bye, and it only helps you in your net rankings and all those other things as well when you get a big-time win on the road. Totally agree. It's rare right now where, where USC is playing a team better than them in the Pac-12. It's been a few weeks, and now you got that chance on the road at Oregon State. I don't think Reagan Beers will have that same kind of game like she did at Galen Center. You mentioned the stats way below her season average. And this is a game shotgun that the narrative has changed on Oregon State. I think they have to be the biggest surprise of Pac-12 women's basketball because I remember we were talking, and maybe that's just me not knowing any better, but she was the freshman of the year last year, and they had some some buzz. But I, I don't think at this point in the year anyone expected Oregon State to be twenty and three and and nine and three in the conference, and that has been a a big part of of the Pac-12 so far this season. So I I think USC did a nice job of limiting Reagan beers in that first game. I, I think they'll try their best to do it again. I expect her to play better, and she to me seems like someone who kind of like an Alyssa Peely. I could see. Reagan having a great game against USC at home, big time environment. I, I just think it's a tough spot for the Trojans. And if they beat Oregon state on the road, that would really tell me a lot. Yeah. And USC has got a couple marquee wins, but this will be another one to add to the resume again, as you try to get into, you know, one of those top 16 teams in the tournament so that you can host that opening weekend. So a lot of things going into it. And that's why it's such a big game this week. And we'll be tuned in for sure. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. Please help us out and like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, we always welcome your feedback, comments, or questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. Connor, any final thoughts? Thanks again to Caleb Padilla. I thought that interview was awesome, and I hope USC fans enjoy it. Yes, uh, that was awesome. Thank you much, so much to KP and for, for the USC women's basketball program for being so uh, open with us so far this season and helping us out get those interviews. has been really great. Uh, but that's going to be it. I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to KP. Thank you to the tri- Mr. Triple Double himself. And thank you all for taking the time to listen. We really appreciate it. We Hopefully, you all join us next week for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast. Peace. Thank you.